What up, y'all? My name is Carl. What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. We want to thank everybody out there who is listening to us. That's two idiots trying to figure this kind of thing out. Um, <laughs> how are you doing today, Jake? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I just can't wait for this weekend, to be honest. I'm ready to unplug a little bit, even though you never really unplugged from stuff. Right. But the final push for this semester is something that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, same. Um, so the genesis for this conversation is something that's been really stewing in my mind for a while, but is coming more and more to the forefront is we're here at Colorado State University, which is a predominantly white campus. And it is really difficult to engage men of color in the work that we're doing. The program that I run called Men in the Movement, which you can check out online, is a predominantly white space. And I also think in general, anti-gender based violence movements that feature men tend to also be predominantly white spaces. What do you think? I agree. And also within my experience of being also part of men in the movement as just a member. Yeah, I think it is a kind of a hard draw for uh, men of color to feel like they can be engaged with this work. Um, and also, I think that thinking of how my journey has progressed as a man and has specifically a white man, I think about if I were to ask to be a part of like racial violence or like breaking down those structures and being a, an accomplice with that. Anti-racial violence, right? Anti-racial, yeah. sorry, anti-racial violence. Okay. Thank you. I don't think I would be a part of that. I don't. I don't think I would have would have started a social justice journey if I were to do that. I think there's a lot of fear when it comes to race. I think with white folks, especially my experience, I think like race has been a harder conversation than gender. And I wonder if that's a common feeling like this podcast has featured a ton of white men. And it'd be an easy excuse to say that that's a function of the campus that we're on. And what you said is really interesting there in terms of is it easier for white men to engage in gender work opposed to racial work? I think that's a really interesting question because I know for sure as a man of color myself and growing up or entering college, it's very much easier to engage in racial justice stuff because that personally impacted me in a negative way. And I want that to end. I like, I want to be able to live freely. And during that process, I realized and was told over and over again that you need to quit being a dude. And so I was like, oh yeah, of course, the way people treated me as a kid for being racially different, I must've been treating women the same way to make them feel the way I felt as a kid. And that was a really easy jump for me. I don't see that jump happen quite as often with men of color as intuitive as I think it should be to be like, oh, I experienced racial oppression as a man. I must be perpetrating gender oppression. And that's just not the case. Right. I also wonder like the internal structure of men in the movement, if it already has a easier pull on white men, I can totally understand why men of color wouldn't want to enter into that space. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's just another location to be racially marginalized in a conversation that's supposed to be about gender. And I do my best to try to mitigate and mediate some of that. And I think we've had some pretty good success in the past, but as the years go on and maybe it's me, it's become a wider and wider group. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there has been points where whiteness has really kind of come to the forefront in the space mm -hmm. in ways that I don't think we all can even name it sometimes because it's so pervasive. It's interesting how I think as white men in men of the movement that we think we're kind of breaking down the power structures of patriarchy, but I think we're also still working within white supremacy to do that. And I, I see how it kind of permeates and how I even do it too. So... And that type of attitude spells a failed movement to right. me, right? Um, I feel like 
the older I get and the more experienced I get in this particular group, the less inclined, well, maybe not inclined, but the less worried I am about pushing men away by challenging them about their whiteness. Um, I think early on I was just, I need to make sure my numbers stay up. I need to make sure that I'm in relationship with these men and that they keep coming back because that was really important to me as a new professional in the job. And I'm afraid that it compromised some of my values of how to do the movement and the process correctly in terms of social justice. Because if there's a pervasive amount of cisgenderness and whiteness in this group, then what's the point of trying to topple the patriarchy when it's just going to re-victimize women of color over and over and over again, which has happened throughout history already. And so, I don't know, it's just a pretty big concern of mine. And I thought if we talked about it openly, we might be able to come up with some, not solutions necessarily, but just be really open with some of our weaknesses when it comes to when we do social justice work as men in the realm of gender, right? Is that kind of a default easiness for us and why? From my experience doing the work, I think it is easy to just only go to gender and only talk about it from a white framework. I think once we kind of fit other parts of it with like class, race, even yeah, just like any gamut of identity, but specifically in this conversation, race, then I think for some folks, including myself, it gets more difficult. It gets something that we really need to dive deeper into. Um, and also I think the easiness kind of the privilege of easy, I guess, yeah, for sure, kind of negates and also ignores the experiences of men of color. And then, so then I think we do have a couple of men of color in the group, but like they, I feel like they have to bring up their experiences instead of to almost like be like, Hey y'all, like, let's not just think of this as a white, some, a white conversation. Right. So I think, yeah, I think there's an easy and a default, almost a default okay. to it. Like it's almost like there's a default setting that I think even sometimes I have that conversation with white folks. And I also think like, who do I talk about gender with when it's not just men in the movement? I feel like it's predominantly white folks. Okay. So you find it hard to challenge men of color on some masculine bullshit opposed to white men in your life? Yeah. Um, I think so because I think, because we, I, I think I'm so well-versed in having those conversations with white dudes, then I think there's a little disconnect between me having conversations with uh, men of color because I don't have the same masculinities necessarily as they do. So it's like, how do I kind of bridge the gap of talking about it, but also like understand where they're coming from too. Yeah. Cause I can, I've been in plenty of conversations where men of color are talking about racial justice and I'm like, dude, that's like a really masculine problematic approach to it. But then that becomes a critique of the way they view racial justice and not a critique on maybe you're leaving women in the community behind with that attitude, right? Mm -hmm. So we, you and I, our different racial identities do a disservice to women of color and trans people of color all over the place by not challenging cis men of color around their masculinity. And so it's a skill for sure, I think, but we have to try. And one of the ways that we can do that is to continue to examine the men in the movement space, continue to examine this podcast from all of the privileged identities that we hold. The trick then becomes when we, because we promised ourselves, we're like, we have to have a podcast about machismo. We have to have a podcast with Asian men. We have to have a podcast with black men. And we want them to talk and break down masculinity and 
have them do the conversation while we also model how do we because it's voyeuristic and a privilege to just kind of hang back and listen to these men talk about what it means to be men of color in their spaces right well you know that creates opportunities to model like i'm going to enter in here and actually contribute and add value instead of saying wow you're so cool like i didn't even think about it that way like great and listen you said this i understand that it comes from a cultural context but that's wrong and this is why Mm -hmm. and i think yeah there's that like fine line between like sitting back and letting them kind of share because when we think about or at least from my point of view is that like if we uh, do have a man of color in here and we are just kind of sitting back and watching I think that's great that we're giving them a space to have the like share their story and share their experiences but yeah if we're like just kind of being like oh yeah that's awesome (laughs) then then we're almost doing a disservice to the podcast as a whole and even ourselves so can you think of a specific way that whiteness has showed up into men in the movement in a way that is detrimental to the conversation? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a couple. Um, I think lately I've been thinking about how we had this conversation about femininity that I th- found was really interesting. And even I brought up that I thought I had made my own definition of what feminine is to me. And so that came from a very um, a place of white privilege because... I could just kind of mold whatever feminine was to me and kind of mold it and make it my own and make it make it something that I thought found was acceptable. Do you think white men engage in gender stuff and then get defensive about race stuff in that space because they're like, but I'm doing the gender stuff, you know, I'm a good guy. Why are you coming at me with this white stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think I've done it. I've done that too. I was like, I'm I'm innocent. Like, come on. Like (laughs) I'm already doing the work. God damn Carl. Like (laughs) I'm just trying not to be a complete, but you're labeling me as such. Um, but I, yeah, I think there is an initial defensiveness, but I think it also comes from like your own internalized dominance for sure. And how, like, I guess specifically for me, like if someone calls me like a white asshole or like, kind of was like, dude, you're being like really white right now like i'll be like now i'd be like oh yeah you're right like (laughs) you're totally right i'm i'm so sorry but like i think initially i was like like my mind was like i think blown to the point of like i don't think i even knew how to i guess reconcile have a deeper conversation about whiteness and i think that was like almost a an excuse to be like oh like i can be complacent with my whiteness Mm -hmm. and be like okay with being an oppressive asshole. <laughs> All right. Well, and we talked about the work that men have to put in to undo the stuff that we created is double, right? Mm-hmm. Like one, we have to support the people who have marginalized identities around us. That takes one strain of energy. And the other one is doing the internal work to make sure that we don't perpetrate the structures that we set up, right? right. So that's twice the work. And so I can see why men of color would kind of shut down the internal stuff because there's a third strand there of fighting oppression. And then when I think about how easy it would be to like, I have as a man of color, one subordinate identity in which I feel powerless. And so I'm going to hold on to whatever power that I can. And one of the ways that oppression works in very insidious ways to divide and conquer marginalized groups is to have men of color buy into patriarchy because that gets them closer to the position of power that they see white men and white people in general in. And so (laughs) there's unfortunately a very logical process to why men of color would choose to ignore how they perpetrate patriarchal structures, particularly in the United States. And we have to find the key to sort of unlock and break that because it does the movement a disservice. And so when I continue to think about these areas of energy that men have to do to sort of undo the stuff that we've created, 
for someone with a ton of dominant identities that like multiplies the internal strands of energy, right? I have to talk about or think about the way that I show up as a dude. I have to think about the way that I show up as white. I have to think about the way that I show up as heterosexual. I have to think about the way I show up middle class or upper class. That's a lot. And again, Mm -hmm. we go back to hard in the context of this podcast isn't hard compared to living in this world that is gender nonconforming or transgender or as a woman. Like that's hard. You have to survive and not get killed. We're talking about hard as in like, I need to think about stuff. Like, obviously that's not hard. And this is exactly why we're creating the podcast is so that we can talk about what is hard. So I want to ask you, in the context of what's hard in this podcast, how do you manage being incredibly mindful of, or trying to be mindful at least, of all of these privileged identities and then not burning out with all of the energy spent in addition to supporting the people around you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I have been burnout. So mm-hmm. um, in the ways that I think I've been really mindful about it, about like the ways in which I show up in every, kind of every in every way and every kind of identity, um, that I hold, I think I kind of choose to burn out in, I feel like in inappropriate ways. Say more. I think if I use, I guess I kind of use it as if I'm doing a break of like work in general, like schoolwork, um, even this work, uh, with like Red Oster Brigade and men in the movement. I think I use that to like use as a way to kind of just de-stress and like go away from it. But that doesn't mean that I haven't been reading an article about feminist pedagogy or anything that's kind of really has educated myself. I think it's more of really trying to break away from being always super intentional about the ways in which I show up. Hmm. It's really interesting because I think I take a masculine approach with it too, okay. is that I'm like alone and I like play video games or watch TV and like kind of relax. But then sometimes I'm like, that was f-ed up. Like, why did we, <laughs> why did that dude like kill that person? Like stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's like almost like I'm doing the, I feel like I'm not doing the work as, as, as intentionally or as in, I guess, intensively, right. quote unquote. I don't know. I think it is, it is draining um, at times, but I think the fact that it's draining for me is, I think, just a little, it's, it's bullshit, really, that it's draining. But I think it's also, there's like a little bit of bullshit that it's draining, but it's also like good that it's draining. Yeah, it's an indicator that you're actually doing work yeah. to some degree, right? Uh-huh. And I think that has to do with the ways in which I've tried to take care of myself better mm-hmm. and how like me going to sleep has been really a hard skill. Uh, I think before doing this work, I was like, I can go to bed. This is easy. And then now it's like, okay, did I just say, like, I'm always kind of remembering what I said to someone, what I maybe have did to someone. Did I take up too much space there? Did I, I think Mm -hmm. I'm thinking more intentionally even before I even go to bed. And I think that process is exhausting at the beginning, but we start building an emotional stamina around this kind of work where it Mm -hmm. becomes like second nature and that's where it becomes less exhausting. And we can't get to that point if we don't continue to do the work. And so going back to this concept of the men in the movement space at Colorado State University, at least being a white space, if we have more white men doing that kind of work or if the program itself or if men come in understanding what it takes to at least put on some sort of energy that shows yes i'm white yes i'm not fully understanding of how that shows up every time i talk and i am trying and i'm sorry when i screw it up and i'm trying to do better and let's do this work together because that's the right way to do it and if there's a bunch of people out there that are just like nope i'm only going to show up in my manness and ignore everything else like that particular movement's going to fail even if you see results in terms of like incidents of sexual assault going down, I, I think. Right. I also think there's a element of when like first engaging with this work of 
even white men being competitive. Okay. Um, and also striving for perfection. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say validation. Validation and perfection, okay. I think. Because I think it's almost like, I think from in my experience, like there's a lot of times where I feel like sometimes I'm just like walking on eggshells. Like I don't want to f- things up. Right. And I just know it's like, that's just not the case. Like I'm going <laughs> to screw up and that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. If you're um, listening out there, you're going to screw up. Yeah. Like a lot. A lot. <laughs> in my case, a lot. Um, and so I can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, and so I think about, I think early on or even just throughout the process of doing this work is that you're so tied to being almost perfect. And then also sometimes I even catch myself comparing my thoughts or feelings compared to like other men in the group or okay. in, or just in, in my life. Like I'll be like, wow, like Will like said something super dope. I wish I said that. Mm. And I was like, well, that's Will's thing to say. Like, it's okay that I didn't say that. Right. But I think at first I'm like, Fuck, like I'm not <laughs> good. On, like <laughs> I'm not good enough. But then, then I go, okay, well that's just a lot of self blame and a lot of really bad shit that you're producing in your head. But I think that comes with like even the masculine kind of almost taught competitiveness. Yeah. And you mentioned internalized dominance before. And I think that's exactly how it manifests inside is Mm -hmm. I should be better than that guy who just said something and then Mm -hmm. be hard on yourself for not doing it. That is a process of internalized dominance that we have to root out. Right. And then sometimes I even will say like, even if there's like a friend that said something really that's a dude mostly white dudes obviously um i say like you're better than that and then i'm also thinking like when would i have said that and then i keep telling myself like i don't have to be better than that so it's like a weird like Mm. dynamic yeah i I mean we should always strive to be better right right and unfortunately and fortunately the bar is incredibly low for men to be better like i get praised for putting down the toilet seat you know like it's just basic unbelievable stuff that people are like, Oh my God, you're the best. Like I show Mm -hmm. up and I'm like, my name is Carl and I work at the women and gender advocacy center. I'm like, stop (laughs) it, dude. Like the reason why I bring that up is I don't know if the bar is super low for whiteness. I think the bar is actually really high for white people to get buy-in from communities of color. Okay. And I wonder if that's a function, another component of why there's so many white men who are drawn to this work because there is a very easy level of validation and probably from white women specifically. So I wonder if there's, I wonder if that's a function of whiteness to like continue to do social justice work amongst just white people. And I've said this like four times already, but that is a failed movement. I think about even, yeah, the experiences that I've had, even coming into talking about like what it meant in the movement means to certain classes or even being an ethnic studies student. Like, I think I even mm. get praised to just because I'm showing up and like, even if I'm not even looking like I'm engaged, people are like, wow, you're, that's awesome that you're here, Jake. And like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good that you're here. Like, right. I don't know. And then I, yeah, I do get it. And I've noticed that it is specifically from other people I perceive to be white. Yeah. How does that kind of further this like dominance of like white people, specifically white men can do no wrong Mm -hmm. or they can do a lot wrong. But then it's also like, I don't know. I think we think about like white women doing wrong, but I think like when it comes to white men, we also, the bar is so low of like men that they, I think it's like excusable when white men fuck up. Yeah. And when in the context of gender and race together, Mm -hmm. I think. Sometimes. Yeah. I think what part of the movement does a disservice to itself is to forgive a lot of transgressions from cis hetero white men because 
there is a bit of an attitude within the movement that we kind of desperately need cis hetero white men to be a part of this and bear right. witness to our struggle and then be able to talk to other cis hetero white men to like make sure that that dude doesn't go and perpetrate the same things that have been happening our entire lives. Like there's a lot of investment in people with all dominant identities and we do ourselves a disservice by not being hard on you. Like we cannot be afraid to drive cis hetero white men away because if you're driven away by us calling you out and there may or may not be a right or wrong way to do this. If we drive you away, then you weren't going, you were just a, a wolf in sheep's clothing anyway. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think about how like that exact thing, like if people were to be hard on me, like I would just be like, yeah, you're right. Like I need to do better and I need to do the work more and do it differently. It's just a rare quality, I think. Right. Which sucks. Yeah. Well, rare quality and cis hetero white men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about like my defensiveness would have come really quickly in the earlier parts of this process. But right. if I learned about, if I took time, like I have to learn about my whiteness, my maleness, like even some like classism and ableism that I even hold as even as a disabled person, like, which is interesting. That's something I kind of figured out yeah, last no, night. A, um, yep. And so I've gotten to this point of like, if you want, if you need to shit on me for any reason, do it. <laughs> like, please, like, I'm not saying like you should have to teach me shit, but I'm saying like, don't be afraid to, to feel like you're being a because I don't, I wouldn't view you that way. Right. Like, I just don't think, I think we're, I think sometimes it's interesting how we think about kind of like almost respecting each other through this work. And I think sometimes like the respectability politics kind of gets into that. And then mm -hmm. we don't really do the necessary work that we need to do. Yeah. And um, I've been saying this a lot recently, but think about people who have marginalized identity when they say something or tell you something that is a gift. Okay. Mm -hmm. We, and when I say we in this context, I mean, we as marginalized folks don't actually owe people with privileged identities, anything, literally anything. Right. Like there's nothing but pain and hurt there. So when we do sort of allow you to bear witness to our pain and hurt, it is a gift and it might feel painful for you in the moment. And I think it's important to recognize that because that moment of pain quickly shifts to defensiveness in the current context of when we try to have these conversations. It's okay to feel hurt, I think, with someone from, uh, it's okay to feel hurt if you have dominant identities and someone with marginalized identities is like, you suck. Like, and then you're like, but it wasn't me. Well, you're, you're right. You know, it may not have been you, but I have a lifetime of experiences of people who look like you who have done that. And then you just happen to be number 1,236,000. Okay. And I think if more cis hetero white men understood that process earlier on, there'd be more like gift unwrapping that yeah. turns into more work being done. Mm -hmm. I think about how you talked about like that first kind of feeling of pain for uh, white cis hetero folks. And I think we talked about, cause we talk about what's hard. Right. And that pain is pretty easy. Right. Because we don't, because <laughs> we talked about like, we don't have any other experiences besides that. Right. So I think, I think if you even can like tell people in your lives that, that like, especially if they identify that way of being white heterosexual insists and being a dude, like then they should feel like that, that that's justified and valid because it is easy. Like you don't have to feel afraid for a lot of things or even hated for a lot of things. Usually the one causing both. Um, so, <laughs> like, 
And you have the yeah. choice of to take it or leave it, right? That's right. The, the definition of privilege. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're giving me a gift. Well, I'm just going to throw it in the dumpster. You know, right. I don't need this. That's the definition mm-hmm. of privilege. And so really framing what, and you know, me too comes into mind here. Hashtag me too. Um, that was a gift for men who are in anti-gender based violence work. Right. Like that is literally a piece of social it was a social phenomenon that allowed you to just go to any random person and be like, Hey, did you see this? You should check it out and let's talk about it. And it's that simple. Even if you don't have a full thought around it, just engaging with men that you don't usually engage in around that stuff is important. Just like mm-hmm. the Colin Kaepernick thing in the NFL would have been is a gift for white people to talk to other white people about racial violence and police brutality in this country. That was a gift. And I don't know if people viewed it that way. People who are in the movement trying to do the work. I don't think they saw it that way. I don't think so. I don't think I even viewed it that way, which is sad. Yeah, um, you, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, no, that's just joking. Fine. Just put that on the record. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard this from Carl anyways. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Oops. No, that's justified that you said that actually. And I think it comes from the ways in which we even don't even acknowledge the power structures that work against that. Like, I don't think I was even thinking about, like, when I thought about, like, Colin Kaepernick and meets hashtag me too, I don't think I was even thinking really about the ways in which I was complacent or complicit within the power structures that were making those exist. Right. I was talking about it with friends, but I think that was, like, the way that I was like, I'm doing the work. I'm talking with my friends. And that was it. Right. Like, so I've failed in that sense. So One of the most powerful tools of oppression is the silence of the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And so when hashtag me too and Colin Kaepernick happened, silence is violence. And for those of you who didn't say anything or didn't sort of leverage the opportunity to talk about systems of oppression from those social movements and incidents, like welcome to the side of the oppressors, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm thinking about almost too, as, cause we talked about it in men in the movement. I think we almost enacted more silence with it. You think the men felt vindicated because we talked about it in men in the movement? They're like, okay, good. I talked about it. I th- I'm out. I think so. Damn. Like I even, I think I even at first was like, yeah, we're done. And then I was like, no, <laughs> hold on. We're not. Um, Interesting. Cause I but, felt like I yeah. specifically said, go out and talk to, see, I knew you, I knew nobody listened to me. <laughs> I did. I mean, I, I mean, I at least tried to process it with Will a lot, which was really good. But I think, yeah, for some of some folks, it looked like they were like, yep, the work is done. Right. Okay. I don't know if that's something, a gift this large is going to come in the future. I also think a gift this large doesn't necessarily go away. So if you're sitting there thinking, crap, I'm identifying with Jake here. The point here is that go out then and do it. Right. There is a value to picking your battles because we talked a little bit about burnout earlier. There is value to that and like be real careful with that attitude. For me, when I was early engaged in this work and I let a moment or an opportunity slip by and I noticed it, I would tell myself, man, like don't be too hard on yourself, but I was hard on myself, but definitely (laughs) say and do something next time. Make that promise to yourself. And then most of the time I would definitely say and do something next time. Right. So. I mean, what did we find out today? That <laughs> complacency exists everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that even I think the power of white supremacy and whiteness is just functions as a way to really feel like people are doing the work, but it's just almost like a way to blind people right. doing the work. 
Same it's with both. patriarchy. Right. It's both. Yeah. I say white men specifically, actually. Yeah. I think what I'm rolling away with here is the mechanism that encourages cis hetero white men to engage in anti-gender work. I'm sorry, anti-gender based violence work. That mechanism is the same mechanism that works in men of color to not engage in anti-gender based violence work. We do things that are easy and that make us feel good. And I understand, and men of color have to find community in fighting uh, for racial justice because as Jeff mentioned in our depression podcast, that community actually staves off the negative aspects, the negative affects of oppression. And recognizing and fighting oppression from a subordinated standpoint feels validating and empowering. But misogynistic men of color fighting for racial justice are the perfect case study for how insidious oppression can be. The reason why I say it's the same mechanism is because white men fighting only for gender justice and men of color fighting only for racial justice is basically the paths to least resistance and the most validation from others, right? And so as a whole, we of men have to do better. But for men in the movement here at CSU, all of us could do better and intentionally talking about how whiteness comes up in the men in the movement space. And so part of building men in the movement into a space that is primarily focused on doing anti-gender based violence work, but it enriches the experience by including the perspectives of people of color and trans men and poor people, like all of those aspects makes all of us better. And so we have to begin to like build those friendships across campus, across identities. And that's a crucial part of the work, even if it's one of the harder ones. Um, and silence is violence. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to close this out. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing, Jake. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Carl. So that will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. Huge shout out to our partnership with the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University for allowing this podcast to happen. Thank you so much. And for more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to KCSU fm.com music production by xavier hadley aka zabley check him out at soundcloud.com slash xavier hadley that's x-a-v-i-e-r-h-a-d-l-e-y deuces peace